filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So a couple weeks on the show, um, we had an interview with, with Ari Gadenson from, from Doc FC and Ari's Diner. And uh, I, I mentioned that not because you should go back and listen to that episode, which everyone you know obviously should. It was a good interview, and um, Doc FC is a cool place. Uh, but because there's another American soccer player who is using his... Uh, using his soccer to to form a new business opportunity in his market where he is playing. I'm referring, of course, to Jonathan Bornstein, the American left back playing in Liga MX, who has Bornstein Automotive Napa Service Center uh, down there in Caretaro. And this is amazing to me. Uh, he, it, it looks like a very nice shop. He's got pictures on uh, Instagram uh, of it. And the shop looks very large and clean and there's at least one person, can't tell if it's a customer or a technician, working on a minivan, wearing a jersey of some kind. Um, nice pictures, nice looking waiting room. Uh, I just think it's awesome. It's hilarious that he has an automotive shop. That is not what I would have pictured a, a soccer player starting, but it delights me nonetheless. Do, do you get a discount if you walk in wearing a uh, Bornstein jersey of any stripe? Like if you walk in with it with a chief us usa jersey do you I get think, like an extra bonus discount i think, I think you'd have to assure the the local population that it's not a chivas de guadalajara jersey probably yeah that's a little too if it had been if he'd been on any other mls team yeah it would have been better i feel like it should only be a discount if if it's a chivas usa jersey others <laughs> others should not count <laughs> not even it's not even hard to get one of those yeah, it's like, oh, bless that's your heart for having in, supported Chivas USA. In Carretero, that's an easy jersey to get. A Chivas USA jersey is hard to come by. All right, what if you are clever enough to get a Jonathan Bornstein Costa Rican national team jersey, or Honduran, Honduras national team jersey, because it was him that beat Costa Rica at RFK to send Honduras into the World Cup. And I know he became a national hero in Honduras. I wonder if he ever collected that... Um free vacation or whatever it was that the entire nation of Honduras was offering him. Yeah, I, I, I would assume he did, but, but I don't have any confirmation in fact right. of that. Let's assume he did. Yeah. You know, I'm happier thinking that he took his free island. I assume they just gave him an island and it's his now. And maybe that's how he got the, uh, he used that as collateral to start to get the loan to start his auto shop. <laughs> that that's the story I'm going with and. You know, why not? Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We're back. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and a lot more in the world of soccer. Tonight, we're talking about a lot of it, in fact. We're talking about DC United. We're talking about lower division soccer. We're talking about women's soccer. And we're talking about the MLS Super Draft. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So... 
As some of you may be aware, uh, Richmond had a pretty big snowstorm this past weekend. We got nine and a half inches of snow here in uh, RVA. And so I've been burning through my uh, my supplies, my larder. And so I'm down to my last bit of bourbon. And I was going to do it with Coke, but we're out of Coke. So I had to resort to ginger ale instead. So you did not run to the store and stand in line for hours before the snow hit? Oh, we did. We've already burned through all of the box of wine and the six pack of beer. And uh, I finished off the, uh, the liquor and you're saying you bought one box of wine and one six pack of beer. You, you rookie and a handle of bourbon. Okay. All right. That's a little better. (laughs) All right. You didn't say how much bourbon you had gotten through. Okay. You, you did better than I thought. Did you also buy toilet paper and bread? That is what people in DC always buy inexplicably. Even if it's only going to be like four inches of snow, the store will be out of toilet paper and bread. No, did we you were buy actually those pretty well stocked on those items, and we made a, we did make a lot of sandwiches. So now we are out of bread too. <laughs> this is important news here, guys. Jason, like, what are you drinking? Well, first of all, I'd like to note that uh, because you guys haven't lived here your entire lives, that, that there's, it's still kind of new to you that that toilet paper and bread would be such a hot <laughs> item. Whereas for me, it's like, yes, of course they're going to be out of toilet paper and bread. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I've lived uh, here for I, 10 years, and that's what I've learned. And I keep in mind, I did not go to the store to buy either of those things. I already had enough bread and enough toilet paper to get through the horrible two inches of uh, dusty snow that I cleaned with a broom. But you thought um, really hard about going and buying more, didn't you? No, I was fine. Oh. Uh, I thought about not going out, <laughs> is what I did. Um, because, you say you're from here. The weather was bad, but it was like, it's so cold, I don't want to go outside. That was my <laughs> thought process. Um, but uh, speaking of... Uh, if, if we're going to be in deep uh, winter, I need a beer equipped for that. So I have uh, Rogue Brewing um, Rolling Thunder Imperial Stout. It's like a season. I think it's a seasonal run, but they do a very small batch. Um, Rogue uh, does a lot of stuff. And one of the things they do is they make their own whiskey in-house. It's Dead Guy Whiskey. Um, they also created their own barrel works um, so that they're vertically integrated. And so they use their own barrels um, from their own whiskey to uh, help imbue this uh, imperial stout with a nice uh, a nice barrel aged whiskey flavor. It's not the best um, whiskey uh, imperial stout cross th- uh, that I've ever had, but it's still a pretty good one. And maybe the key is that the bottle it comes with is a swing top, so you get a nice gigantic um, 34 ounce free growler out of your purchase if you just wash the thing. Half a gallon's not bad. Yeah. I'm going a little bit simpler. I'm drinking uh, an American amber lager off of uh, Long Island. It's Blue Point Toasted Lager, um, which they had a, a, a sales rep, essentially, from, from the brewery set up, or, or maybe from the distributor in D.C. I'm not sure who he was representing, but he was set up at the grocery store in my neighborhood um, giving out taste tests and... I was, you know, my, my daughter was in the shopping cart with me and the guy's like, Hey, do you want to try some beer? And I was like, looked at, looked at my daughter, looked at him, said, yeah, sure. Why not? And she sat very patiently and, and told him over and over again that she was two as I tried these little one ounce, uh, sips of beer. Uh, and they had a few of them and I decided to reward their efforts by buying a six pack of, of the toasted lager. And it's, it's not bad. It's, it's, um, not quite a winter lager, but it's, it's, on that end of the spectrum probably or closer to that end of the spectrum um and and so it's 
you know, maybe not as hearty or as chewy as you might like on a, you know, an 18 degree night like we have right now, but right. it's still, it's still pretty good. Pretty appropriate it, as I sit next 18, to my 18, that's dinner. balmy. Yeah. It uh, was the guy in Virginia. Well, yeah, it was, we had a, set a new record low last night. It was zero. That's the record low? Yes. That's okay. I mean, yeah. We Midwesterners think that's cute. Yeah, exactly. You see, you like to claim both of it. You're like, I'm from Virginia, where it's colder than you are right now. And you're like, yeah, but that's like the first time it's ever happened. You're like, but I'm from Ohio. I, I, I can be from two places. You contain you, multitudes. You ben have Bromley. to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn to DC United news now. Um, first up on the docket, three DC United players are on Bruce Arena's first mark two january camp uh as the manager of the u.s men's national team bill hamid was no surprise steve birnbaum was no surprise taylor kemp a little bit of a surprise the left back joining uh his his teammates on the national team roster ben were you what, what was your reaction to seeing shooter on this roster uh i was excited yeah i think i shot off some uh Taylor Kemp Claxons uh, on Twitter, and yeah, I think I think it's actually deserved. I've been seeing a lot of pieces uh, floating around the internet when they mention Kemp. They just mention that he's uh, got a nice uh, a nice left foot, a good cross, but is uh, kind of shaky defensively. And I don't think the people writing those uh, overviews of the USMNT roster really watched much of Kemp, uh, especially especially this whole year, but especially down the stretch where he's actually become a pretty solid uh, defensive player, uh, especially blossoming this year. But starting last year, he was getting significantly better. So I think it's this is exactly what January camp is for, to try out a player like Taylor Kemp and see if he is national team quality or if he falls just short. So I'm super excited for him. I hope he gets in uh, and gets some game time against, uh, what is it? Iceland and Slovenia? Iceland and Slovakia? I'm not actually sure. I, I thought I we played Iceland last time. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was entirely time. focused it's... on the roster and not on you know, <laughs> yeah. games. And so well, regardless, after. I'm pretty sure it's Iceland and Slovakia if you guys, and Slovenia. If you guys ramble for another 30 seconds, I'll probably have the information <laughs> that we need. Maybe not even 30 seconds. I, I think I'm covering it myself. It's Serbia and Jamaica. <laughs> Serbia and okay. Jamaica. So not, Completely neither of those wrong. Teams. Completely yes. wrong. The Iceland was last year. You okay. got the S, a country in Europe that starts with an S. You yeah. got that much. Yeah. But no, I'm super excited for him. And yeah, he'll, I, I think he'll, I'm sure he'll get at least a couple of minutes. And who knows? Maybe this is the start of even greater things for Shooter. Yeah, he's uh, I had a couple reactions. One, um, really good for him. Uh, I think that his growth curve has been kind of phenomenal over the last couple years and it's at a point where a lot of players start to level off he seems to be improving faster to my eye um on on both sides of the ball he he had really good attacking uh season when he first came into the lineup and then had to kind of dial that back while he figured out the defensive side of the game and in the last couple years it's kind of come together on both um and he's not just crossing the ball he's able to get into shooting positions and uh, he's shown that his left foot is is very good. He started beating guys on the dribble. He started uh, positioning himself better uh, to avoid 
being schooled 1v1 on the defensive side of the ball, I think he's he's done a great job, and I really want him to uh, to show well for the U.S. For, for his sake more than anything else. Uh, my second reaction is we have to make the shooter nickname go nationwide. I want people around the country yelling, Shooter! Anytime he gets the ball in the attacking third. Jason, what do you think about Shooter's uh, development? Um, you know, it's interesting that, that it did occur to me that there was a chance with Arena coming in that that Kemp might be on on his radar. Mm-hmm. Um, American left backs are, are famously uh, a small group of people, um, and under Klinsman, we saw that none of them would get called in. It would just be somebody else would be thrown in there because why play anyone at their natural position? Um, Arena, thankfully, has said, you know, I would like left backs to play left back. Um, <laughs> and uh, he can't call in um, the Liga Emekis contingent. He can't bring in someone like Jorge Villafania at this time because Liga Emekis, even though it uh, <laughs> they finished, they, their final was on Christmas Day and it, they are already back. They've already played a week of games. Um so those guys are unavailable. So it really it does shrink the pool a little bit. Um, but when it comes to American left backs, there really aren't that many better than Kemp um, going forward, especially. Um, and I think that's something that the U.S. has really lacked. Um, it is interesting to watch him. De- it has been interesting watching him develop the defensive side of the game, which was always the question mark coming out of you know coming out of Maryland. His first few years in MLS, it was can, can he defend well enough to actually be worth the stuff you get on the attacking end. Um, and what, what's really good to see is that he hasn't just developed as a defender. He's gotten better as an attacking player as well. He's, uh, his cro- I don't think his crossing has improved, but his choices have improved. Mm-hmm. Um, his ability with the ball at his feet uh, has improved a lot. And he's become uh, the kind of player that uh, United doesn't need to help him out so much to get him into the attack. They don't have to provide somebody to be a combination uh, option and, and dedicate two and three players to moving players, moving people around so that Kemp has somewhere to go. Uh, he's able to figure it out without all that help, um, which bodes well for the international level where those decisions are more complicated. Um, teams are less likely to get dragged all over the place by guys off the ball. Um, so that's, you know, it's it all points to something pretty strong. Um I still think it would be kind of a surprise to see him break through under arena, but he's also in a position where this is one of the spots that arena probably is looking at and saying like, yeah, let's throw it open and see who wants to step up and take this job. Um, who wants to be pushing their way into camp? He called in five goalkeepers, which is an indicator that, um, you know, Tim Howard wasn't in that group. Brad Guzan isn't in that group. Um, I think he's looking at those five as potential, um, third choice players, potential successors down the road, except for Romando, who um, is not going to be a successor down the road. Um, yeah. Romando falls into a category with, with some other guys on this roster, Jermaine Wando. Jones and Chris Wondolowski, right. um, most notably, who are there to set the tone in training. Right. Um, um, and, and there are some in every bucket, every position, there's somebody like that who has been through the ringer with the national team. And, and I think that that makes sense. Even though this is January camp, you want it to be young blood. You need people in there who know how the, the locker room works at that level and can, can say, this is how we do it and just demonstrate that on the field. And so I think even though I don't want him to play in any more than maybe a substitute farewell appearance, I, I completely understand why Wando's on this roster. And I would I would say with Wando, um, 
we have to remember the situation the U.S. finds themselves in. Um, they are looking at must-win games already, which is extremely mm-hmm. weird. Um, and when you reduce the pool down to who's available for January camp, Wando probably merits a call-up um, as a striker. There's no one that's been left out where you're like, oh, wow, how did that guy get left out and Wando got called in? Yeah, the closest um, thing might be Patrick Mullins, yeah, who you, ended you the season on our tear. But he had half a season of really good work right that was sustained um, before that it was flashes and substitute appearances and right which i, I completely part understand of that comes down to him out until next year right um but in, in any case uh we don't want to turn this into the wando show um <laughs> you never with, ever turn it into the wando show with with camp i do think um it's possible for him to actually push in um to this sort of position where he's actually getting consideration um there aren't that many available left backs and he's been one of the better ones. And it's nice to see uh, someone somewhere was paying attention to it and not just saying like, well, I remember Taylor Kemp from 2014 and he wasn't that good defensively. So that's the end of that for me, Um, which happens a lot in MLS. I feel like this Mm -hmm. isn't just a, no one watches DC United complaint that we've had before. This is a general complaint. Um, Once people get a reputation in, in MLS circles, it's almost like, you know, there's a small people uh, amount of people who are saying like actually that's changed. Yeah, um, how many years did it take for Bill Hamid to shed the reputation for making silly mistakes, which he really didn't do that much except when he was a teenager in the league. I don't. I don't think he's shed that reputation. It would depend on who a lot of people. To. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It depends if who you talk to. If there's someone who is arguing for Luis Robles for the national team, then that is the first thing, first and only thing they're going to say about Hamid. But you have right. to remember that's someone who's arguing Luis Robles should start for the national team. So you can immediately discount their opinion. Um, On everything. But yeah, um, it's it's a strange situation where a lot of people are paying close attention to the league and yet not adjusting their opinions to what's actually happening in the league. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe this is a situation where people are they have the game on, but they're not necessarily watching that closely. I don't know. Um, right. But yeah, Kemp is one of those guys that gets stuck in that. Oh, this is who he is, and you know it happens to be a two-year-old opinion. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere on DC United, and I guess in less happy news, Colin Martin traded to Minnesota United for essentially some some practice cones, a fourth-round super draft pick in this year's draft. Um, Martin spent a lot of his time with DC United injured. When he wasn't injured, he was either starting for Richmond and and turning some heads or else uh, sitting on the bench for DC United. Um, Had a few odd starts here and there when he was healthy, which, again, wasn't that frequent. He gets a fresh start in Minnesota and DC United clears the roster space. I think that's as much as you can read into this. Um, Amos McGee who was an assistant coach for DC United is Minnesota's head of player personnel up there. So I think, I think this is probably the best move for all parties as much as I wanted Colin Martin to succeed for DC United. Um, I I don't think he harbors any ill will. At least he didn't seem to on Twitter. He just seemed excited to be going to a place where he might play. And I think under um, Adrian Heath, there's a chance he will play uh, in that system up there. So, uh, rooting for him and uh, hoping that that he comes good and and most importantly stays healthy. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of that is the human side of of that mm-hmm. trade too, where United has sort of earned a reputation over the years of 
if a player's not going to make it here, uh, not just languishing, leaving them here on the bench or trying to hold out for a higher draft pick or what have you, um, by getting Martin out there now, um, he becomes more of a part of Minnesota's plans than it would have been if they had waited till you know, a few months from now, uh, in the hopes of getting a third round pick instead of a fourth round pick. Um, I think a lot of fans are upset because they see a young player with potential leaving for very little, but you have to understand United didn't have any leverage. Everyone knows with Acosta and Buescher on the the roster that Martin's not going to get a lot of time in 2017. Um, so holding out for some tiny marginal improvement, uh, really only inconveniences Colin Martin. Um, and it's not really, it doesn't really reflect well on you amongst players and amongst agents, um, when you're doing that. That's, um, to go back into the day, it, to go back in the day, that's the kind of thing that the old, uh, Steve Nickel revolution were often characterized for, where players were sort of treated as assets rather than as human beings. Um, and so it was all about the club and it was never, there was no acknowledgement of the human side of these players' careers. Um, in this that's, case, that's a place where DC United has typically done pretty well. Right. They've done well by their players. Right. And, and I think it helps them uh, recruit players for the future. It, it helps them with probably recruiting with homegrown players. You say, look, maybe you don't break through here for whatever reason. You know, Martin would be if, if United hadn't been able to acquire Buescher in last year's draft. Uh, Martin would probably still be on the team. Um, yeah. That situation probably developed pretty fast. Um, and it was the right decision for DC United, if we're being honest, but at the same time, it was inconvenient to say the least for Colin Martin, but now he gets to go somewhere else. Um, and the, you can still tell those academy kids when you're recruiting them, like, if you sign here, you'll still be in the league. We're not going to hold you hostage if, you know, you're buried on the death chart because some other stuff happened that, that we didn't even plan on at the, at right now. That's not even on our radar right now. Um, yeah. we'll still, you'll still end up in a spot where you can make a career for yourself in this game. So all in all, I think probably, uh, good for everyone involved. Um, I do think Heath playing that more narrow, he, you know, the four, two, three, one, but everyone tucks inside. It opens up a few spots for Martin that weren't here where yeah, when Olsen there played him on spots the wing, for him instead of just one, right. when Olsen would play him on the wing, he would sort of disappear cause he's not a winger. But when you're tucked in like that, it changes the equation for, for his skill set. I think. Yeah, I think and, that's right. And based on what I saw of him here in Richmond, I think he definitely can contribute at an MLS level. You worry about people who get uh, loaned to USL who are MLS prospects, and then they don't. Then they just seem kind of USL average, and that's not good. But whenever he was here with the kickers, he always definitely seemed like you could definitely tell he was one of the, he, if not the best player on the field, then one of the two or three best players on the field at all times. And so if he can refine that and continue to develop and he's still a young, he's still young. He, I mean, wouldn't he be graduating yeah, he's basically now from yeah. college? He'd be going into his rookie year if he had stayed all four years at right. Wake Forest. So, so I, I think he definitely still has a future in this league. Yeah. I I'm inclined to agree. I want him to stay healthy. Uh, and I think if he does, then he can have a really good long career in this league. And, and I'm, I'm certainly rooting for him. Um, I mentioned Wake Forest, and and that's relevant because DC United has a new academy director, a man named Ryan Martin, who succeeds Nolan Sheldon, who was promoted from the director of the academy to an assistant coach with Ben Olsen's staff on the first team. Ryan Martin uh, comes to DC United from 
FC Cincinnati or Cincinnati FC. I can't remember the order. It's FC FCC Cincinnati. It's yeah. it's a really bad. It's it, like it's this football. Name is especially club. yes, it's especially bad. Uh, that's John Harkes' side um, in Cincinnati. Ryan Martin, right though. Yes, yeah, they've gotten everything else right. All other fronts, they've nailed it. And Ryan Martin helped build that club from scratch. Before that, he was an assistant coach and the recruiting director at Wake Forest, or recruiting coordinator, whatever the term is there. He he ran uh, Wake Forest's very strong recruiting effort. Um, I think every year he was in that position, they had a top 10 recruiting class in the country and had the best class on at least one occasion. And... Uh, among the players he recruited to Wake Forest were Colin Martin and Jalen Robinson and Ian Harks, who we will talk about right now. Ian Harks, who is a DC United Academy uh, uh, product, product and also a uh, Wake Forest graduate or, or at least a four-year player there, was named the Mac Herman player of the year in men's soccer, um, basically the the men's soccer version of the Heisman Trophy. Uh, really high award. Patrick Mullins won it twice at Maryland. Uh, big deal. He has been offered a homegrown contract by DC United. He's currently weighing it over along with some European options this week. Hopefully by the time we record next week, we will have news and hopefully it will be good news. Um, and we will talk more about Ian Harks in, in the next segment with, with Travis Clark. Anything else DC United related, guys, before we, we turn to some sad news and some less sad news? Uh, it's not DC United related, but I would like to point out to folks that uh, Mac Herman was not a person. No, uh, MAC is an acronym for Missouri Athletic Club. Bob Herman was a human being um, that the trophy is named after. So they were. It was kind of like the, the it, FIFA Player of the Year and the the Ballon d'Or. They were two trophies that, that merged. And then that's actually a bad analogy because the Ballon d'Or and the uh, FIFA player of the year unmerged this past year. So maybe that I, wasn't the best analogy. I, I just want people to know that there is no, or there is probably someone named Matt Herman, but it's that person has nothing to do with the college soccer player of the year. If your name is Matt Herman, write to us, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We want to talk to you because we want to spread an urban legend that you are who the trophy is named for. We really do. Well, I and do. And the tyranny of Missouri over football trophies. Something, something. It's called soccer. <laughs> um, Crystal Dunn, guys. This is sad. Crystal Dunn, who is possibly the most exciting American soccer player living uh, of, of any gender or sex. Um, she has left the Washington Spirit and transferred full-time to Chelsea Football Club in London. Uh, she'll play for Chelsea ladies, obviously. Um, she will still play for the U S women's national team, but will not be at the soccer plex again anytime soon. And this is very sad making Ben. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it just continues the, uh, off season of sadness that has been the entire, this entire past couple of months for Washington spirit fans. We are just all riding our punishment barge, out into the great sea of disaster. Jason, what are you sacrificing to make the pain end? Uh, I don't think sacrifices sacrifices aren't linked to uh, pain ending, especially when uh, with the spirit, it's obvious that it, the floggings will continue until morale improves. Um, So yeah, it's just been, it's been uh, extremely tough. This is one that everyone has known uh, for a while was coming. Yeah. Um, 
the rumors were going on for a while, Dunn straight up told uh, Richard Farley at a national team game at the end of 2016 or in November, I want to say, um, in an interview with 442, he, she said uh, straight up that she was looking at moving to France uh, at that time. Um, I kind of, putting the dots together, this is speculation, but I always thought that if Alex Morgan didn't sign with Olympic Lyon, that they were going to sign Crystal Dunn instead, um, which may be why she ended up not in France, but in England instead. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely extremely tough because the spirit will not be able to replace her. There is no like-for-like replacement available in the national team pool or even internationally. Um, there are players as good as her, but they don't do all the things that she can do um, and provide all the excitement that she can provide. So they, uh, they've they got a tough season in front of them. I will say that um, in her absence during the Olympics, uh, Shayna Williams started to find her game a little bit. And she's not as good as Crystal Dunn, but she's still fast, a good dribbler, um, creative, uh, getting better and better in the box towards the end of the season. So maybe they have someone on their roster that can at least fill that that profile. Just We're just not talking about a world-class uh, replacement for a world-class player. So, yeah, it's going to be rough, uh, to say the least. But, you know, it's just one of the many extremely rough things that have happened for Spirit uh, in the offseason. Yeah, Crystal Dunn, she's in a way she's like Dero in which in that she can just do so many things that it's not you can't replace it directly. You have to basically change what you're doing, which the spirit we're going to have to do anyway this offseason mm-hmm. given all the pieces that they've lost. This has been a bad winter since losing that championship game and I don't want to talk it any talk about it anymore. So we'll we'll Can I just say very that smoothly I- I gave or not so smoothly. my uh, goal of the year, um, if people were following that, which I decided to announce at like 10.30 p.m. on New Year's Eve, uh, because it it had been a plan. We were going to run a whole thing, and I just never got around to finalizing it. It was going to be time-intensive, and we did not have time to do it on the site. Um, so I just chose my own, rather than allowing people to vote. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I gave her her goal of the year, even over Luciano, Luciano Acosta's chip, um, for all of DC soccer. Um, and the sad thing is that she probably could have had two or three more in the top 15. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're losing here. She's, she's a singular player, I think. And, um, uh, we're, we're all going to miss her. Anyone who, who likes soccer highlights of teams and fields they recognize, um, will, will miss crystal Dunn. Like I said, I don't want to talk about it anymore. So instead I will talk about the U S soccer federation who did their best Oprah impression, this past week and said, you get a division two sanction and you get a division two sanction and everybody gets a division two sanction. No, nothing guys. No. USSF (laughs) said that USL and NASL both will get provisional division two status for 2017. And they will revisit the question of who's division two, who's division three and who gets voted off the Island next year around this time. Um, both both leagues had to get some pretty serious waivers from the the federation to get D2. NASL, of course, uh, doesn't have enough teams to technically be Division Two without the waiver. They also don't have teams in enough time zones. They, they they were supposed to have twelve teams. They have 
eight in two time zones instead of three. And USL has some teams that uh, don't meet the stadium requirements or owner requirements, I think. And they had to lay out a specific plan to fix that. Um, both leagues did well enough to in USSF's mind to to get the the sanction. Ben, you you're down there in Richmond, where where the kickers are now a Division Two club for the first time since what 2010, if not earlier, nope. uh, 2005, I believe. Okay, because they were they they self relegated from USL one to USL two in the mid 2000s, so they had been. D3, uh, yeah, since then. So yeah, this will be their first season back in D2 since then. And really this, the, the co-sanctioning makes sense. USSF never wanted to be the ones that, uh, held the knife and killed, uh, NASL. And if they had given them D3 sanctioning, that's what was going to happen. And so, yeah, they give, uh, those eight teams in that league another year to figure itself out and either collapse or thrive. And since they just or got rid of USL the, into accepting them in a merger or that too. And uh, yeah, they just got rid of Bill Peterson. So that their, their commissioner. So that's a uh, first good step back to sanity for them. Uh, Cause he's a crazy person. And so, yeah. It, it, and USL had done everything right and has some really great teams, really great ownership, a really, uh, sustainable seeming uh, structure and uh, for competition and growth. So there was no way you couldn't give them D2 sanctioning either. So I think the co-sanctioning just makes the most sense, even though USSF didn't really want to do it, it. It was the only choice that made sense in the end. Jason, any thoughts before we, we bring Travis on to talk about the super draft? Yeah, I, I will say that it seems like, um, U.S. Soccer's fear of having multiple Division Twos was kind of unfounded. Um, we're not because because of the way U.S. Soccer has structured their pyramid, where there's no promotion or relegation. Please do not include that hashtag on our Twitter account. We will block you. Um, you realize now people are going to test that. Okay, well they'll get blocked. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I will block you. I'll do it myself. Um, but the fact is that having two Division Twos is fine. When if that's how you're going to work things, you can have two division twos, um, and USL put together a great presentation and have improved their standing quite a bit to earn uh, the so-called move up. Um, there are issues. I, I will say that they seem to overstate. They said it, you know basically it was the greatest application in the history of applications, um, which was a little bit much uh, because they were still dealing with a few teams playing on fields that didn't quite meet the, the standard listed by U.S. soccer and, and a few other things. They've still got to deal with the fact that uh, the B teams from MLS um, will never get the attendance uh, that U.S. soccer wants, and that's a problem. And the fact that U.S. soccer, for the for this, the B teams that don't play at their home club stadium, um, if they play at a little venue that the team built and that venue is now no longer big enough, if you're an MLS club, are you going to invest in 2,000 extra seats for your mini stadium to help a USL B team that only gets 500 people a game? No. Well, and, I also, 
What? I also feel really bad for the uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who yes. whose stadium is also too small, and when they and building that stadium basically bankrupted the team a couple of years ago. Yes, and it's a, it's a beautiful stadium. They USL like U.S. Soccer should look at that and say like this is fine, this is acceptable. Um, right. The Riverhounds get decent crowds in that place. Uh, I do recall reading that it can be built up. I think they've got the ability yeah. to expand that to a certain point. It's just that they don't have the money necessarily to do it right away. Um, but in any case, um, you know, USL still all in all, given the amount of exemptions that the NASL got to keep going, um, USL mm -hmm. probably deserved to be in Division Two. But the the remaining NASL clubs are for the most part the ones that haven't blinked out of existence yet or aren't tottering on the brink are all definitely clubs that should be playing um you know yeah, if you nobody wants any club to fail right and, and if you told existing. me that a club with the the attendance and overall strength as a profile of like an indy 11 um should have nowhere to play and thus cease to exist that would be or the, yeah that would be for the former railhawks right um those are well-run soccer organizations that have figured out their market and get a good number of people. They play a good quality soccer. There's no reason for them not to be. It's the ones that the NASL's problem has always been the clubs that are poorly run and the league being poorly run itself. It's not the NASL as a concept is no good. It's they have the wrong people running certain things. Um, and you know, the rumor is that since they didn't, since the NASL didn't fold, the cosmos will be purchased by new ownership. Um, Hopefully they'll be a little more intelligent than the old ownership. Um, Rayo OKC is going out of business, which is not a shock to anyone because that was a pretty horrible idea from from start to finish. I think they have um, gone out of business. They are officially dissolved. Right. Um, and, and they, you know, they'd already fallen into basically a farcical existence where one ownership had or one owner had stolen the field, physically which removed the field. Um, yeah. So the, things that got things got strange in the NASL. Um, but that's what happens when you have ownership groups that haven't been properly vetted. Uh, and the NASL had a big problem with that. Basically, if you showed up with enough money in your hand at the time, they'd say, like, that's good enough for us. Um, and there was no attempt to, like, figure out if you were a sane person. Yeah, um, after that, they would ask, you know, after they approved your application and made the announcement, they would ask, do you have a place to play? Are you crazy? <laughs> no, I don't think they ever even asked that. I think that was just something oh, they I would mean, learn. They'll say no, and then it's that's that's good enough. Right. Um, um, and this seems to be something that, that the remaining owners in NASL have become yes. keenly aware of. Um, yes. I, I'm sure the, the owner of N North Carolina FC, formerly the Railhawks, mm -hmm. uh, made a big point of this. Um, he was responsible for the league official yes. league statement after the sanctioning announcement from the Federation. And he specifically said, we moving forward, we are going to focus on sustainable, well-vetted ownership and and that was a big deal. And it seems like they are now less committed to trying to become a D1 league that, to compete with MLS and more focused on just trying to survive as a Division II league or, or at least keep their, their clubs alive. And if they want to compete with MLS down the road, that's their prerogative. But they the first thing they need to do is be able to stand on their own two feet. Um, and they've never really seemed like... They were at that point. I know they liked the NASL as a league like to say that they were at that point, but they really weren't. Right. Um, but that's what you get when crazy people are running things is you get a false picture of what's actually going on. 
And on that note, we are are going to take a break in the greatest podcast to ever exist. And we will be right back to talk to Travis Clark of Top Tour Soccer. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean... Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. It is Super Draft Week here in MLS world, and we have tons of content on on Black and Red United coming your way all around the MLS Super Draft, which is, of course, the mechanism by which unaffiliated college players come into the league. And few people know more about it than Travis Clark from Top Drawer Soccer, who is here making his annual appearance on the show. Welcome back, Travis. Thanks. You know, I was just thinking about it. I think this is my third year in a row, maybe fourth. It's probably I think fourth. I think it's your fourth. Yeah. Wow. I don't think we had this is our going into our fifth sixth year. So this might be your fifth year uh in a row coming on. We've had you on a lot over the years. But only once a year, of course. But only once a year. <laughs> you know, unless there's a big academy signing or something. We've had you on for those too. Yeah, no, anyway, I, you I know, just wanted to make fun of myself really. That's more what I was going after here. <laughs> you know the drill here. Our first question is, what are you drinking? Uh, well, I have some uh, Port City in the fridge, but I'm not drinking it right now. Oh, well. Can't win them all. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I knew that would be a question, but I've, I've, I've let the listeners down, I fear, and they'll, they'll be turning off the podcast See, now. Our, our listener is old enough now. It's gotten tired, and you, you, don't, <laughs> you don't bother dressing up for dinner anymore. This is true. Uh, Travis, I guess we should start before we even get into the draft with uh, the biggest thing on DC United's mind as far as college soccer goes. Um, for our listeners that haven't seen a lot of uh, Ian Harks and Wake Forest play, what exactly would United be getting if they managed to finish that deal off? Yeah, obviously Harks is someone that people would know even if you – all these uh, check out college soccer with passing interest, I'd say. Um, obviously, with his, the Wake Forest in the College Cup, I, over the past four years, Hart has really blossomed. It's been very interesting. You know, I, 
I'm dating myself here a little bit with my job, but I actually saw Ian play with the DC United U18s, gosh, five years ago, four years ago. I don't even, he might have even been like going into a senior year of high school, which um, frightens me a little bit. But, you know, he's someone that has come a long way since then. He, I would say he's one of the most pro-ready pro players in college soccer. You know, whether or not he ends up with DC United, you're looking at a, you know, com- combative midfielder, really smart soccer brain, as you'd imagine from the son of a U.S. national team player. Uh, looking at number six or number eight, it kind of depends on how a team wants to use him and how he kind of adjusts. Because the one sort of knock against him is whether or not he, or not he has that kind of physicality you'd want in MLS. Uh, everything else with there with the passing, you know, the movement, the decision-making, he can handle, I think, the higher level of play. You know, when it comes to a little bit faster game, I think there'd be an adjustment period, but he's also someone that could probably, especially if, if Olsen sticks with the 4-1, 4-1 we saw from him last year, the, you know, him next to Acosta as a box-to-box guy, you could even maybe possibly play him um, in front of the back four. Again, that would depend on how he can handle the defensive role. So, you know, it'd be a nice pickup. It would be sort of, a, you know, like having a top two pick in the draft if we're going to sort of use that old out-of-date uh, comparison. <laughs> yeah, I've heard he's um, he would be in the top three. He would be in the, the class with the, the top two guys in this draft, which brings me to my first question for you. Uh, a lot of the talk about this year's draft class has focused on those top two guys, Jeremy Ebobise and Abu Dunladi, and then there's everyone else is kind of an afterthought. Is that a fair assessment of, of the class, those two guys and then everyone else? Yeah, I would think so. I think Abu is by far the better player. There's just the the durability issue, which may or may not be an actual issue because when you look at college soccer and you when you look at a player's injury, even the smaller knocks, you know, you miss two weeks and that's like it's not half the season, but it's almost half the season. And so, you know, managing a player's minutes becomes more difficult. Bringing on, bringing a player up to speed with sort of your rotation becomes more difficult. So, uh, maybe that's something that he kind of quickly sheds. And um, I would put him even ahead of Igor Bise, who, while I think should do pretty well, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth on just simply because he hasn't played a whole lot of competitive soccer in the past year. And I think that's being overlooked just a little bit. There are some people saying that Miles Robinson could be the top player, you know, including uh, members of our own staff, you know, lots of TDS infighting and, even though we're kind of already ready for the draft to be over. But I still think he looks a little bit awkward. Uh, that is Robinson. And uh, when he, we saw him with Syracuse, he played out a little bit of outside back, which I don't think is the role that he'd fill necessarily at the next level. So, uh, you know, supposedly he's been good with the U20s, and I think he's the one player, you know, GA tag aside, who could kind of enter that conversation. Jackson Yule should be a good player, but he's a little bit of a, a you know, one of those tweeners where will a coach, where will you play? You know, how, how's he going to do with the physical aspect of it in the middle of the park? You know, can he make those decisions quick enough? Cause I don't think he'd play out, out wide necessarily unless you're looking at, at kind of a wide player that pinches in. So uh, I think Jackson is the number one pick to Minnesota it would be kind of funny, but I, I doubt that happens. <laughs> you feel like it's going to be interesting actually, when you talk about, you know, the number one pick, because, or even the top two, because you have Minnesota who, that just signed Christian Ramirez and Ibarra. You know, Atlanta's throwing lots of money at at uh, attacking players. So they've also said that they they're shopping that second pick. I thought yeah, they were which shopping makes sense. 
Are they shopping both? Is it, they I think they're shopping. I, I'd heard the number two pick was on, on the table, okay. but maybe it is their, the second one that they acquired. Yeah, it's very confusing. And, uh, you know. It sounds like I anything think, is for sale. Right. I mean, it would make sense. If I'm at Atlanta, I would, I would keep eight and see what I could get for two because I think that you're going to be able to get a little bit more for um, mm-hmm. you know, whoever's on the board after the number one pick, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, you know, it, it's, you know, looking at the draft pool as a whole, it's a, a lot of the same things that you see kind of on a year to year basis. The high end talent uh, is either, uh, you know, homegrown affiliates already gone from college soccer, never went to college soccer. So you kind of got to scrimp and scrap at this point. So I think that in years past, you've seen the GA kids kind of slip a little bit, but I feel like, you know, at least for the GA kids from the U.S., they're probably or the the college based ones, i.e., not the Canadian ones. Not to be biased, but <laughs> I feel like we might see them all go kind of toward the higher end of the draft. But you know, I, I'm always wrong, so I'm just going to embrace it. <laughs> so DC United typically drafts for the the best available player rather than than reaching for someone who who happens to fit a position of need. Um, whenever they happen to be drafting, if they if they have to trade up to get the guy they rate as the best available player, they'll do it as they did last year with Julian Buescher. Um Sometimes they trade down, knowing they can still get their guy, like when they had the number one pick and they traded down to two and still got Steve Birnbaum. I think what's going to affect that for them, if they keep that number 12 spot, which they have, will be which position has the deepest pool of players in this draft. Um, because after those top two, it's, you know, there's, it, it, it seems like a muddy middle to me. Um, to, a muddy middle. Know, I, I, I admittedly I like don't that. know a ton about college soccer at this point, but it, it, from what I've read, it seems like there's, there is that big gap. So which position is the strongest and the deepest in this draft pool? Well, if we're talking in that mid first round range. Yeah. You know, if we're talking DC United and, while they don't necessarily always go for a need, so this was probably guaranteed to be wrong. You know, you have to look at um, two spots. You look at the uh, sort of a wide midfield spot, and you look at uh, an outside back and maybe a right back. So, uh, you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're looking at Sean Franklin is basically the entire right back depth for DC minus you know Nick DeLeon. Yeah, in, unless Chris Corb is able to win right. a contract. Yeah. yeah, so you know you look at you're looking at the especially the seniors. You could, you could go right to the right back. So you know they're going to know a lot about Chris Adoyatsim and Jason. I'm sure has already briefed you on on him and his pluses and minuses. And uh, you have you have two great greatly named greatly maybe not a word but we're going to roll with it. <laughs> uh, other right backs in Reagan Dunk and Colton Storm who. You have to think, you know, barring you know, massive steps, the massive performances of the combine, uh, you think, especially those two, one of them could be uh, on the board. So if DC United, you know, decides that that's the way they're going to go, maybe that's what they'll roll with. I doubt that they would go for a central midfielder. They seem to have, already have a lot of those pieces, especially with the Harks thing lined up. You probably. Um, you might be able to find a you know a central defender, Lalas Abubakar from Dayton, uh, someone that does well. Um, maybe a Francis DeVries type. Maybe they do you know they do go for a forward. You have some speedsters out there, Guillermo Delgado. Um, 
there's a number of ways they could go. I think another position that I kind of like for that range, uh, like I mentioned in the wide midfield, uh, Christian Tierjung from Cal is a program they're going to know well, and you know they could probably get a little bit of a a scouting report. I believe they overlapped Burnbaum and Tierjung, but I'm, I could be, could be wrong. Time kind of just melts together these days. So, <laughs> um, and then Nico Hansen uh, from New Mexico. So, there's a lot of different ways it could go. Uh, and I, I think there are players out there that are, you know, have a better chance of making it than not. Even though you know there's not a lot of glamorous high end talent, which there never really is these days anyway. Mm-hmm. So, Travis, one of the players on the uh, initial combine list, at least, is a former DC United Academy product, uh, Suleiman Denka. And I was just wondering, do you see him actually getting drafted? Do you think he's an MLS quality player? Or do you think DC United made the right move in not trying to sign him to a homegrown contract? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, especially when, again, we're talking outside backs. And, you know, so he's so a guy that's kind of bounced back and forth between a central defensive role and a left back role. And I think that probably hasn't been sort of to the best of his development, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. And, I think that you know he just maybe not be quite good enough for the ball, and just he's just not quite good enough to. I guess DC decided that it, they would they would go the other way. He seems more like a, um, a USL caliber player to me, at least from the get go. So uh, what I, what I find sort of mind boggling is that he's, you know, he's definitely not going to be playing a center back, in my opinion. Maybe MLS teams see it differently. Uh, but they had him playing on, you know, they have like three left backs at the combine, and two of them are on the same team. If you count Sully as a left back, so uh, it was just sort of, you know, kind of a head scratcher because we all know the MLS combine is just, you know, extra vacation for the coaches, right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of a planned thing too. Like coaches request, like, can you play this player at position X um, mm-hmm. for a game, and they do it even though that guy might not have any experience there, which has been sort of an odd thing to see in the past. No, well, my favorite story about the combine is is Taylor Twelman, who was a forward in college, forward his whole life. He was on um, Dom Kinnear was the coach of his team at at the combine, and Kinnear stashed him at right back. And and Twelman said, "What? Why are you playing me at right back? I've never played defense in my life. I have no idea what I'm doing." He's like, "I know, but I want you on my team, and I don't want anyone else to draft you." <laughs> Yeah, that was also a weird situation because Twelman wasn't. He had been at eighteen sixty Munich. Um, yeah, him being in the draft pool was already an MLS thing where it's like we don't know what to do about this situation. So this was before they'd come up the with draft. allocation orders and blind draws. And find us at blackandredunited.com. dot com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. As ever, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we accept advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud as well. Uh, Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. We really appreciate it when you do that. For Jason and Ben, and thanking Travis one last time, I'm Adam Taylor, and we will see you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Good night, Jason.